If you've done any traveling, you've probably bought a postcard, sent it to someone. Chris and Heidi Johnson would probably be here the second service. They travel all over the world. They probably send a lot of postcards. Usually a picture on one side, and then on the other side you write your little uh, note or maybe explaining what is on, on the picture. Today we look at what, what some have described as a New Testament postcard. You have some of these shorter uh, New Testament books like Philemon and Third John and Second John and Jude, probably written on one sheet of, of papyrus when it was originally written. So if this was a, a postcard that Paul sent, of course there weren't cameras in those days, but if you could take a picture and put it on the postcard, I think the picture would be of two men hugging, being reconciled, back together again. That's the picture we find then in the book of Philemon. You'll find it between Titus and Hebrews, the letter of Paul to Philemon. I'm going to begin reading at uh, verse 8, excuse me, verse 10 of the letter of Paul to Philemon. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence obedience I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time also prepare me a lodging for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work of, of reconciliation. We who were enemies of yours, you have brought into a living relationship through Jesus, through the blood that he, was, he shed for us. And you are also the God who reconciles people together, those who have been separated, those who have been estranged. Oh God, do that work today of, of reconciliation both with you and with one another, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest examples of reconciliation is the Old Testament story of of Joseph and his brothers. 
When you think of how much Joseph's brothers hated him to the point of, of literally selling him as a slave into Egypt. And then after all those years, when Joseph rose to that position of, of second in command to Pharaoh and his brothers come looking for food, you would think that in the heart of Joseph there might be just a little bit of, a little bit of bitterness after all that they had done to him. But he wasn't bitter. He didn't put them on probation. He lovingly, graciously forgave them and their family was reconciled in a very, very wonderful way. As we look in the New Testament, we see another example of reconciliation, maybe the greatest example in the New Testament, and that is between Onesimus, who was a runaway slave, and Philemon. The picture we get in the book of Philemon is that Onesimus probably stole something when he left Philemon. He went to the city of Rome and, and somehow came in contact with the Apostle Paul, and Onesimus became a believer. And so now Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, seeking to bring about reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus left a slave, but became a spiritual brother. And now Paul is saying it's time to, to reconcile that relationship. Forgiveness and restoring that relationship. Now, there are several lessons we learn about reconciliation in this letter. The first thing I would say is this, that reconciliation is a family matter. Reconciliation is a family matter. And you'll see why I say that. My Bible calls this letter the letter of Paul to Philemon. But if you look at the first few verses of this letter, you will notice that it wasn't just written to Philemon. It was also written to what we believe was his biological family, his wife and son, and his spiritual family, the church that met in their home. Notice how it begins. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. Our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, who was probably his wife, and to Archippus, our fellow work or soldier, who was probably his son, and to the church in your home. Well, isn't that interesting that, that Paul was seeking to bring reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus? And yet he addresses this letter not just to Philemon, but also to his wife to their son, and to the church that met in their home. Now, why would, why would Paul do that? I would suggest to you that there is a good reason for this. It is likely that when Onesimus ran away from Philemon, that he took some things that didn't belong to him. And that didn't just affect Philemon. That also had an impact on his wife, it had an impact on his son, and there was also that impact upon the congregation. Here's the lesson we learn with this, is that sin rarely, if ever, affects just one person. Ever heard people say, what I do with my life doesn't matter, I ain't hurting anybody else. Is, there, is that true? 
Can we say that the way that we live doesn't impact anybody else? The way that I live as a father, doesn't it affect my family? The way that I live as a pastor, doesn't it affect this congregation? We have a web of relationships, don't we? And when someone sins, it doesn't just affect one person. It has a domino effect sometimes, affecting many other people. I know of parents who are bitter against someone for what was done to their child, to their children. And they don't want to forgive. I know of wives who are bitter against someone for what they did to her husband. I know of children who are bitter against someone for what was done to their parents. And that's why I say that reconciliation is a family matter. And we all need to be willing to forgive even if we weren't the ones who were wronged. And sometimes that's hard. When your family member has been wrong, it is so easy to to carry that grudge with you. You see that person and you want to look them in the eye, you want to turn the other way. We need to be reconciled, people. And if there are those relationships that are wounded, those relationships that are somehow not what they ought to be, we need to deal with that, don't we? And so that's the first lesson. Reconciliation is a family matter. The second lesson we learn is that reconciliation is a loving expression. It is an expression of love. Notice how Paul makes it clear to Philemon that he could have ordered him to reconcile with Onesimus because it would have been the right thing to do. In verse 8 he says, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do that which is proper, to do that that which is right, to do the right thing in this. I could order you to do that, Paul says. But he understood that genuine reconciliation flows from love. And so he says in verse 9, For love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Now, I could order you to do this, and I would be right in doing so because it is proper to be reconciled with your brother. But I'm going to appeal to you for love's sake. Because reconciliation flows from love. A love for God, first of all, and then a love for others. It's interesting to notice that Paul says he had confidence that Philemon would do what he asked. Verse 8, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, there must have been something about Philemon's life that Paul could say, I am confident that you'd do what I tell you to do. And if you look at how Paul describes Philemon in verses 4 through 7, you can see why Paul said that. He said, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So you think of what kind of a man Philemon was. He was a refreshing man. When the saints were with him, he was the kind of guy that when they left, they said, oh, that's been good to be with Philemon. 
Just that kind of guy. Are you that refreshing person when, when people have spent time with you, they say, oh, that was good. That was wonderful to spend time. Just a refreshing person. And he was also a man that, that loved all the saints. Not just some of the saints, all the saints. He wasn't the kind who would say, oh, to live above with saints we love, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's another story, huh? How many people do you know like that, right? Oh, man, you know, it's going to be great in heaven, but man, you've got to live with these people now? Oh, that was not Philemon. So here was a man who refreshed the hearts of the saints. Here was a man who loved them all. And since Onesimus had become one of the saints, one of the family of God, Paul says to Philemon, you need to love him too. You need to love him too. In spite of what he did to you, This man's life has been changed. He is now a brother in Christ. And just as you love all the saints, I appeal to you for love's sake that you would love him as well. Do people have this kind of confidence in you? If someone wrongs you, would others know that you are going to be willing to forgive them? Or are you one of those who have find it very difficult to forgive? One who has just a lot of grudges. I've met people who have grudges that go back for for years. I remember an older lady I visited up north. And she told me about something that her boss had done to her. I thought it was last week. It was 30 years ago. 30 years ago. And she still rehearses it in her mind. Who knows every day? Just think of that. Holding a grudge for 30 years. How sad. That's got to eat you up inside, doesn't it? Unwilling to forgive. What is one of the keys to forgiving others? It's found in the scripture that was read this morning from Matthew chapter 18. Peter comes to Jesus and says, How many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? He thought that was a lot. The rabbis of the day said you should at least forgive three times. So Peter says, well, I'm going to double it and add one. Jesus ought to be impressed. That's what he's thinking. What did Jesus say? Oh, no, 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 no. Not just seven times. Seventy times seven, as if to say unlimited. You don't don't have a chart. Okay, you're on, on, you know, 26 now. And, you know, you better be careful because my, my, my list is getting full. No. And then he went on to tell the parable of the man who was forgiven this huge, huge, unpayable debt. Master forgives him. And what does the one forgiven do? He goes out and finds his fellow slave and grabs him by the neck and says, pay what you owe me. What's wrong with that picture? How can someone who has been forgiven a huge debt hold a grudge against someone who has Wrong them maybe just once or twice or a few times. It doesn't match, does it? How can such a person pray the Lord's Prayer? What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What are we saying? God, you forgive me 
as I forgive others. If I'm not willing to forgive others, what are we saying to God then in the Lord's Prayer? Don't forgive me because I'm bitter. I'm, I'm unforgiving. I'm holding grudges. That's a serious thing, isn't it? We're not willing to forgive. As one man says, he who will not forgive others destroys the bridge over which he himself must cross. He who will not forgive others destroys the bridge over which he himself must cross. So reconciliation is a family matter. Reconciliation is a loving expression. Thirdly, reconciliation is a relationship changer. (laughs) Reconciliation transforms relationships. You know, when Onesimus fled to Rome, he probably had no intention of repenting of his sin and putting his trust in Jesus. But you know what? God met him there. Interesting, God did something wonderful in his life. Through his divine providence, God put Onesimus in contact with the Apostle Paul. And Onesimus became a believer. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. So somehow, Onesimus, maybe he ended up in jail himself for doing something wrong. He meets the Apostle Paul. Paul shares the gospel with him. And his life was changed. And that changed not only his relationship to God, but that changed his relationship with others. And specifically, his relationship with Philemon. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. He says, For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back. Forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, what happened? He said, you're, 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 you don't have just this relationship that, that Philemon is your master and you are his servant. There's a a deeper relationship you have. You are brothers in the family of God. At the foot of the cross, they were on level ground. And in that relationship now that both Philemon and Onesimus had with God was going to change that relationship in a wonderful way. That's what happens when you come to know Jesus. It changes your relationship with people. And if there needs to be reconciliation between you and someone else, you've got a reason to do it because God has reconciled you. And now you reconcile with others. Verse 11, we see another change in their relationship. Verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. And notice how he describes him, who formerly was useless to you but now is useful both to you and to me. The the name Onesimus means useful. And Paul is obviously using a play on on words here. And what he's saying is, is, is really this. Useful was 
formerly useless, but now he's useful. <laughs> Onesimus, useful, was formerly useless, but now Philemon, there, there's a change in this man's life. He's a new creation. He's a brother in the Lord. And you're going to find that this man's life is a lot different than it used to be. Because Jesus has become his Lord and Savior. The one who was a slave was now a brother. The one who was useless has now become useful. Because reconciliation changes relationships. Have you ever heard someone say, I forgive him, but I'll have nothing to do with him. Is that reconciliation? What if God said to you, I forgive you, but I'll have nothing to do with you. You'd say, well, that's not really reconciliation, is it? Reconciliation, genuine reconciliation changes relationships. Now, sometimes people may not be willing to reconcile with you. Sadly, but if you made that attempt to reconcile and they will not reconcile with you, you can rest in your soul and say, Lord, I did what I could. Not that you give up. Sometimes people won't be reconciled, but you might be surprised. You come to someone with a humble heart and say, brother, sister, things aren't right. And we belong to the same family. We're brothers. We're sisters. We have the same father. We need to reconcile. And if you don't think that can happen, look at the life of Joseph. Look at the life of Philemon and Onesimus. God can do beyond what we might ever imagine if we're willing to humble ourselves. Say, brother, sister, there's something wrong here. We need to make it right. Now, the fourth lesson we learn here is that reconciliation is a costly transaction. If you've got the impression that everything is easy when reconciliation takes place, let me remind you that that is not always the case. In one way or another, there is a price to pay. And we see that in the text. There was a cost for Onesimus. He had to swallow his pride. He had to come back to Philemon and his family confessing what he had done, that it was wrong. He also likely felt the need to, to restore what he had taken from Philemon. So there was a cost for him that he had to deal with. There was a cost for Philemon and his family and the church that met in their home. We don't know what he had taken from Philemon. could have been of considerable value. And they had to be willing to forgive him for what he had done and to welcome him now as a brother in the family of God. And that isn't always easy, is it? We need to swallow our pride too. Say, I forgive you. Welcome to the family of God. Regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done, you are now my brother in Jesus and I love you because Jesus loves me. There was also at least a potential cost for Paul. In verse 17, he said to Philemon, if then you regard me 
as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul was so concerned that Philemon and Onesimus be reconciled together. But he said, if, if Onesimus owes you anything, he said, I'll pay for it. Put that on my account. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul was willing to do what was necessary to see that reconciliation take place between those two brothers in Christ. So maybe that says something to us about believers in Jesus. If we see people within the family of God that aren't reconciled, maybe we need to say, Lord, what can I do to bring about reconciliation? Maybe there's a cost involved to me. Maybe there's a price that I need to pay. Like Paul was with Philemon and Onesimus. You know what we see here? We see here a picture of Jesus, don't we? We see a picture of Jesus. Charge that to my account. Isn't that what Jesus says to us? Your sin has been charged to his account. And so think of this relationship here. Philemon, like God, had been wronged. Onesimus, like the sinner, stood in need of reconciliation. And Paul, like Jesus, offered to pay the price to bring about that reconciliation. John MacArthur says, Never are we more like God than when we forgive Never are we more like Christ than when we pay someone else's debt so that reconciliation can take place. Paul's willingness to suffer the temporal consequences of Onesimus' sin mirrors Christ's willingness to suffer the eternal consequences of our sin. So there's two questions I want to ask you today. The first one is this. Have you been reconciled to God? Are you in a right relationship with Him? Jesus has done everything needed for that to take place. He's paid the price for you. He shed His blood for you. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have experienced the greatest reconciliation in all the world. To be in a right relationship with God. Jesus did that for you. He died in your place. Shed His blood for you that you might have a right relationship with God. So are you reconciled to Him today? Are you in a right relationship with Jesus? And then the second question is based on the first. Are you reconciled to others? Are you in a right relationship with your brother or sister in the body of Christ? Sometimes people try to separate these two types of reconciliation. And they really can't be separated. If you've been forgiven by God... Then you need to forgive others. If you are reconciled to God, then you need to be reconciled to others. And I ask you, are you willing to, 
to take that step today. Now don't say I wasn't the one in the wrong, okay? Isn't that the temptation? They should come crawling to me on their hands and knees through broken glass and beg forgiveness, huh? I wasn't the one wrong. Does that absolve you of any responsibility? Biblically, does that, does that absolve you? No. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. You get that? Your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present your offering. What does that say to the one who says, well, I wasn't the one wrong. You know, they should come to me. I'm just going to wait for them to come to me. We don't have that option. When there's an issue, you both ought to be meeting in the middle, right? One leaving one house to go to the other house, and willing you meet in the middle and say, you know what? We need to get this right. We are brothers. We are sisters in the family of God. We can't go on like this. Reconciliation. Take that step today. Be the one to make sure that your relationship is restored. If you've been reconciled to God, then we need to be reconciled to one another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this uh, beautiful picture of reconciliation and how you accomplished that in the life of Philemon, the life of Onesimus. As you changed their relationship with you, Lord, it changed their relationship with one another. Oh God, there's someone here this morning that has not been reconciled to you. Lord, that you would call them, that you would do your work in them like you did in Onesimus. And Lord, if there's someone here that is not reconciled with a brother or sister in the body of Christ, give them the grace, the strength to humble themselves, to go and, and do what they can, O oh God, by your grace and strength to make sure that there is unity, there is forgiveness, there is reconciliation in the body of Christ. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.